first two games in Philly. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dan, a.k.a. Big Daddy Dan, and I'm with my other co-host, Kev, the K-Train. What's up, Kev? How are you holding up after those two brutal games? Oh, man, I feel like I've been hit by a train, or at least I wish I have been. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we want to review both games here. Let's uh, let's dive into game one. We'll do a quick review. We'll spend a little bit more time on game two. Um, but the first the first thing I want to talk about is our boy, Scotty B. Um, so unfortunate to see him go down. I mean, the young man was was fearless on the big stage here. 15 points, 10 rebs, eight dimes, almost a triple double before getting injured for the rookie here. Yeah, I mean, he came out, he was in game one. He was almost the lone bright spot, you could say, because we'll get into it in game one of the second here. And I don't think the result was so much the Raptors playing badly as Philly just playing really well. But, you know, of all of our players, Barnes came out like a house of fire. And we were talking previously, you know, what can we expect from him? Will he be able to handle the playoff atmosphere? He thrived in game one and he started at center even against sorry, matched up against Joel Embiid uh, in his first ever start as center for Barnes. So, like, he was he was great. Yeah, and you love, you love to see that Nurse has the trust in the rookie, too, to, to start him at center against, again, arguably the MVP of the league. But it's just so unfortunate to see the, the 300 pounds of Embiid just crush his ankle. Um, so it looks like he's doubtful for game two, but we'll see. We'll stay positive in terms of the rookie. But what really hurt us at the beginning of this game, Kevin, is is Freddie with the two fouls in 59 seconds. You're right. So Fred in in game one, it kind of set the tone for the rest of the game and some of the officiating with some of the calls that were made. Fred with two, uh, like you mentioned, within 59 seconds there. There was a lot of egregious calls that were made and going the other way. You can say not made in both games. But in game one, it was really bad. I mean, we had Fred... And uh, Chris Boucher both foul out, and, and the two calls on Fred were for absolutely nothing. Yeah, and I mean, when Fred does have the two early fouls, you see Philly just attacking Freddie repeatedly, and they can just kind of get away with anything because Fred just can't play his normal game. He's He can't develop a rhythm on either side of the ball, and it's just a, a big momentum killer for us, which was which was unfortunate. So one thing we should talk about right off the bat here, Dan, and just get it out of the way is – the foul calls and the officiating across both games. So calls that were being made one way and not the other egregious calls that Philly was getting away with and almost nothing calls that were being called on us. Best example, Fred Van Vliet in the first 59 seconds of game one already had two fouls, you know, in game two, Pascal Siakam had two fouls halfway through the first quarter. Joel, Joel Embiid was, you know, a one man wrecking crew. Uh, James Harden was getting his, his shots as well. And we talked about it. Like these guys get to the line. It's what Philly does, but you, you almost just want to go to the referees and say, Hey, can we, can we just play basketball here? Like the playoffs are supposed to be chippy basketball. That's what makes it good. It doesn't work if it doesn't go both ways. If one team's getting the calls and the other one's not, it doesn't make for a good game. And that's what we saw. Now we'll get into it a bit deeper here. It, it wasn't all officiating issues, but it just it just seemed like a cloud that kind of hung over things, at least kind of from where I sat. What what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree for the most part. It, like uh, there definitely was a little bit of a, a lopsided with the, with the calls there, um, but it was just kind of the fact that Philly started off more aggressive too. Um, they kind of remembered what it was like to play playoff ball. The Raptors kind of started off a little passive, and uh, in my opinion, from the defensive end. 
Um, but I mean, overall, like offensively shooting wise, the Raptors played pretty well. You don't see that when you look at the final score, right? But offensively, you have OG, Fred VanVleet, Siakam, and Barnes all shooting over 50% from the floor. And collectively as a team, they were shooting 40% from three, from three, from three, sorry, and 83% from the line. So as I mentioned, it was mainly that defensive intensity issue and the offensive rebounding that hurt us. Like the Raptors are the number two team in the NBA in offensive rebounding and Philly beat us at our own game, hitting the offensive glass and turning the ball over less. I mean, Philly had only three turnovers, three turnovers for the full game to R8. So yeah, you're you're bang on. You're bang on. I mean, Philly, like you like you mentioned, we we weren't getting the offensive rebounds. We're usually really good at it. Philadelphia is actually the worst team in the league when it comes to offensive rebounds. I think you think Philly, you think Joel Embiid, oh, they got to be you know somewhere in the middle, maybe near the top. He's you know pretty much the only one that does it based on that measure, and it's not even his forte, but he can obviously get them. Again, the the calls that Philly was getting away with, Joel Embiid clawed the face. Of Scotty Barnes. It's a same call that uh, we didn't get away with in game two. Siakam got called for it, but Embiid did the exact same thing in game one and got away with it. He also smacked Ken Birch in the face. Ken Birch had a concussion this year. He had he had an issue with uh, nasal fracturing, and and he's not getting called for this. Embiid's not getting called for this, I should say. Uh, so it's it, it was very difficult. It was very challenging. 100%. And, it, and it's more frustrating because we played great defense on the two main Philly guys in game one. We did a great job limiting a beat and, and Harden. They were both shot 33% and 35% respectively from the field. And yes, Embiid, he still had 19 points and 15 rebs and Harden had 22 and 14 dimes. But again, these guys will produce, but the fact that they couldn't even make 40% of their shots, like that should have been a clear opportunity for the Raps to score efficiently. And and catch up and try to claw back in the game. But unfortunately, we, we just weren't able to do so. Yeah, Tyrese Maxey, you talked about him as the X Factor, and I'll let you talk about him here in a second. He really emerged as the guy for Philly in that game because, again, Harden and Embiid and Embiid are going to get theirs. We limited them as best as we could in game one. But the story of this game, other than the officiating in game one, was more about Philly excelling in really every way they could, limiting turnovers, limiting fouls. Uh, guys stepping up, the efficiency, that was that was equally the story as much as the officiating rather than what Toronto did wrong. Yeah, and like going into Tyrese Maxey here, we, we did mention that he could be the X factor, and, and boy, was that accurate. The sophomore went off for 38 points. It turns out that's one short of his career high on 67% shooting with five threes. And, I mean, a lot of people will chalk up the, the L to Maxey's performance, and kind of say, oh, there was nothing we could have done there. But our defense was so timid in the first, it allowed him to make open shots and build that confidence. And then late in the game, you see this guy, he's hitting threes five feet back from the from the arc, and he has a hand in his face. So, I mean, we definitely kind of gave him the opportunity to get his his easy buckets in the first part of the game. And then, boy, he he just took over from there. He did not stop. Yeah, and he turned into Kevin Durant in game two. We talked about his stats last week in the podcast. Pretty much a pure scorer, little bit of counting stats. The guy almost had a triple double in game two. He was he was he was Scotty Barnes in game two. Like he just came to life and you know put up put up amazing stats. And you know Joel Embiid got his 
in the first half. It's funny, in game two, Toronto started off so well, and then they kept pace with Philly despite some egregious calls. Joel Embiid matched, uh, or sorry, exceeded his game one point total in the first quarter of game two, so he came out strong. We came out strong at the same time, but when Embiid left the game, I was surprised to see that that's when the game started to slip away from us, and we started missing open shots in the second quarter, you know, to get towards the end of the second quarter. And that's kind of what let Philly pull away. Yeah, yeah, it was frustrating to see that happen because when Embiid's riding the pine, like we definitely need to take advantage of that and just absolutely dominate the floor. I mean, it hurts that we don't have Scotty Barnes playing with the second unit, obviously, because you see guys like Maxi and Tobias Harris spending time with the with the bench group. But that was 100% so disappointing to see just – when Embiid's not in the game, that's when we need to take full advantage. And again, we just we just couldn't do it for whatever reason. Yeah, we were missing missing easy shots on good looks at halftime. We had 15 fouls. Again, you know, it's the theme of of the officiating, and you know, obviously some some good calls in there as well. We only had seven free throw attempts. Philly had 10 fouls. So again, from those 10 fouls, only seven free throw attempts. They had 23 attempts and 21 made. At halftime, again, that's telling you the tale. A lot of it being Joel Embiid, um, but I mean, I was just so frustrated. I'm starting to keep harping on the officiating here, but Siakam got called for the same foul that Joel Embiid did in Game One, where you know he went up to block block uh, Joel Embiid, and with his opposite hand, whether he meant to or not, kind of clawed the face, and the officials called it. Yeah, and, and like going back to, to more stats about the fouls here, we will talk about it a little bit more, but we're not going to make this an extended conversation by any means. The Raps were down by 15 points at half, and what really stuck out to me was Philly made 21 free throws and Raps six at half. And when you subtract those two numbers, that's the difference of 15 points. So, again, like you can see how much that's impacting the game. Obviously, you don't expect it to be – fully equal on each side. There's going to be some things that happen, but just seeing that large gap and that was the exact point differential, it, it blew my mind to see that stat. Yeah, and and another thing, Toronto, even with the missed shots, they, they got back to playing more of their game in game two, which was nice to see. I do think the final score was a little bit flattering uh, to the Raptors because, again, after that second quarter, they trailed by quite a bit. They they did get closer uh, in the fourth quarter. They got back to within 11. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I'd be, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Do you think that was a result of uh, Toronto playing better and starting to click a little bit or more Philly having taken their foot off the gas just a little bit? They did start to play their bench guys a little more in game two. They, they played them almost not at all in game one. So those guys were getting some minutes. I know you can't ride your starters that hard, but do you think it was – Toronto starting to, to click a little bit better or Philly, you know, again, just taking their foot off the gas? I think it was a little bit of a combination. I think why the score didn't look as bad as, as the game was when you were watching is because we did go on that late run in the fourth. We went on a 15-0 to run, and I think there was seven straight stops on the Sixers. So, I mean, that little run at the fourth, it was, it was great to see, to see them fight till the, till the last few minutes. But, unfortunately, it was just – too little, too late. So I think that kind of made a little bit of a difference for the final score there. Um, but, I mean, just losing by 15, it, it seemed like a much worse game in my opinion. But the, the fouls were a big story, like I said. But 
I mean, the refs aren't the sole reason the Raps lost. Nobody is happy with the refereeing, but I'm sorry, the Raptors, they, they just haven't been solid defensively. And the Sixers stars and even their third and fourth options with Harris and, and Maxi, obviously, they're generally like genuinely difficult to guard. Raps are getting beat on about 80% of the plays. And it's just, yeah, it, it, it just, they didn't have the same effort and the same defensive intensity as you saw in the regular season. And, and it, and it showed 100% in both games here. Yeah. At least Toronto was able to get their offensive rebounds in this game. We mentioned how uh, uh, proficient they were in that. So they started playing their game a little bit more. You had good lines from guys like OG and, and Pascal who stepped up in the absence of yep. Scotty Barnes. Even Chris Boucher stepped up. He had 17 points, eight rebounds, a couple blocks in there. So you saw, you saw glimmers that, you know, maybe Toronto could, well, certainly they made it a game, but you saw a glimmer that, you know, even without Scotty Barnes, maybe they could pull this off. Maybe there was hope going forward in game three. Let's talk about game three, Dan. Toronto's coming home. Everybody, you know, prefers playing at home. You prefer not to play down 0-2, but it's the situation they're in. They're still down. Scotty Barnes, he's doubtful, uh, like you mentioned. Gary Trent had to leave Monday's game uh, due to the illness. He gave it a go. He wasn't very good. You can't fault him. Like, bless him for trying. What What are Toronto's chances in Game 3? Do you think playing at home is going to make that big a difference? The officiating could still be a factor. I mean, you never really know. I, I I really hope that they can they can make a series of it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, any team plays better at home, right? They feed off the home crowd. There's there's definitely a level of of comfort when you're playing on your home court. And I mean, like a lot of people are probably feeling defeated already, but you know, it's not over till it's over. Like we can go home, we can take care of home court, win both games build some momentum, and, I mean, hopefully Trent comes back. He's feeling better. It looks like Scotty's doubtful, but, I mean, if we can just take care of home court and build that momentum, then it's then it's anyone's series. Like, Philly's going to be shaking in their boots a little bit if we take two games here at home. Yeah, even if we can take one, they're going to start to question because if you win one, you know, you need to win one more to tie it, and then, like you say, it's anyone's series. So uh, it goes without saying, and it's a cliche in sports, but this is a must-win game, game three in Toronto. And, you know, I don't I don't want to put everything on Scotty because obviously there's other players, but, you know, his presence would make a huge difference. Precious Achua stepped up admirably, I think, in in uh, Scotty's absence. But, you know, he's no Scotty Barnes. Props to Scotty Barnes for getting in there against Joel Embiid in game one. His first career start at center. This is a versatile guy, you know, potential rookie of the year. He started – this year at point guard, small forward, power forward, and now center. You know, we've talked about positionless basketball in the past. This this guy's the definition of that. And, you know, he's got the energy to carry the team. And I just love his maturity. And it was good to see him on the sidelines in good spirits. I'd love to see him back on the court eventually, if not in game three, you know, maybe game four, game five, game six. I'm hoping we get there. Yeah, I mean, my prediction was in seven games, so if Scotty can come back and win it in seven, then uh, I'll look like a genius here. But uh, I definitely want to uh, give uh, OG some props here. Like, he was definitely a bright spot for the Raptors in the first two games. Like, he he was arguably, like, the best player when you combine the first two games because Scotty wasn't in the second. But this guy, like, he had 20 points game one, 26 in game two, shooting 60 and 70% respectively. Like, that's unreal numbers from OG. Like, you know this guy can get it going on both ends of the floor. 
He can make the three. He's great defensively, right? But to put up both both games to have above 20 points and shoot a great percentage from the field, he was he was excellent for the Raptors out there. He was. He was. Philly's, Philly's got depth, though. I, I'd be lying if I told you I'm not worried, obviously. Even Danny Green stepped up in game two. Yeah. Uh, he put up 11 points. He was providing his, his usual three and D. Uh, if he can, if he emerges and stays present, we've talked about Tobias Harris. He was great in game two, 20 points. The more options Philly has going, the more trouble, you know, it will be. And we saw Joel Embiid after that big first quarter take a step back because other guys were stepping up, stepping in and, you know, getting things going. Philly got their bench involved in game two, like we mentioned. Now those guys didn't set the world on fire, but, you know, anytime they can spell those starters for any length of time and let them get a breather, and get other guys a chance to get involved and, and, you know, get the mojo going. It just, it doesn't bode well. Um, the nice thing, I guess, uh, is that Toronto's not struggling with their, with their rotation. They know who their guys are. They know who they can turn to. They know what their capabilities are. You know, I'm just, let's, let's hope it can happen. Fred has, has looked like the all-star he is out there. I mean, like when you saw Freddie in game two, he came out swinging, man. Like he had 11 of the Raps' first 18 points. He went four or six from three for 14 points in the first. When I was watching this, like it almost reminded me of Lowry in game six in the 2019 championship where he was a man on a mission and had a similar opening quarter performance. Like it looks like he looked like he couldn't miss and he was ready to put the team on his back and carry them to a win. Obviously one, one resulted in a championship and this just tie, would tie the series, but it was, it was so disappointing to see him just go completely ice cold after that. Like, he ended up only 5 of 15 from 3. Yeah, so he started off hot, but just really cooled down. You're right. You know, it's a series like this. It's, it's funny you mentioned Kyle, and I'm glad you did, because it's a series like this where you really miss a guy like Kyle Lowry, and not necessarily that, you know, he's going to play so much better than Fred or anything like that, but it's the little things he does. Like, uh, on Monday night's game, you saw, I believe it was Gary Trent, was Gary Trent, tried to take a charge from Joel Embiid, he like he ended up getting called for the the offensive, which was frustrating. But Kyle Lowry was an absolute pro at that. He could take those charges from Embiid, Harden. He was fearless. He stood in there. He always got set. He got his positioning done. You know, he's a floor general. On top of that, he's got the experience. You know, Fred's got experience now too. I'm not saying anything about that. But the little things Kyle does, I think, would make a pretty big difference. I'm not saying the Raptors would lead the series at this point with Kyle, but. There, there'd be some, some noticeable, noticeable and notable differences in what's gone on so far if Kyle was on the floor for us. Yeah, for sure. Like he definitely kind of brought those all those intangibles to to the court, and I think he he led the league in his charges as well. So he, he was definitely a pro with that, and it's it's almost kind of funny, for lack of better terms, to to see other guys attempt to to do the same things as Lowry does. But yep. yeah, that's that's definitely something that we're we're kind of missing from the squad. But and you know, what we're, you know what we're missing here too, Danny? You know what we're missing here too? Like we're all doom and gloom here, but if Toronto had just made some of those shots that they missed towards the end of the second half, it would have been a much more competitive game. Who knows how things would have gone? Philly could have felt the pressure. They could have missed more shots at that time. And, you know, we got so close in the fourth. We mentioned we got within 11 points. If we made some of those open shots in the second quarter, I mean, we could have taken the lead. We could have won the game. It was, it could have been that close if they can just Get the gimmies, I guess. You never want to call an open three a gimme because, you know, guys miss it all the time. We've seen it. But if they can just hit their shots, 
and they can keep some of the good things they had going in game two, going into game three at home again, a plus there. I mean, it could be a whole new series. Yeah, for sure. Like you got it. You got to get the bunnies right when the defensive coverage is late. Like you got to make those shots, especially in the playoffs. The silver lining for for the Raps a little bit in game two was the coverage on Harden. He hasn't been a massive difference maker in either games, but in in game two, he shot 35% from the field and he only finished with 14 points, right? Like that's a surprising stat to see that considering the outcome. Like it's it's funny that Philly traded for Harden to only find out that Maxi is basically their second best player in this series yeah. so far. Well, yeah, that's that's it too. I mean, Maxi even had more assists than Harden. He had eight to Harden yeah. six, so it's it's interesting. And and Maxi was operating as the point uh, the point maker for most of the night. Uh, so Harden Harden's kind of in that shooting guard role. I mean, Maxi is thriving at this point. If he's if he's you know running like he is, and man, that kid is fast. Toronto, Toronto will have to shift their focus a little bit. And you can't forget about James Harden. Like, how could you possibly? The guy's going to be a Hall of Famer. But you just got to switch your focus and and give a little bit more attention to Maxi because the way he's going now, you can't take for granted that everything is going to run through Embiid and James Harden. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, their third and fourth guys, like like Maxi again here, but and Tobias Harris have just been weapons on the floor for Philly. Like, they, they combined for 107 points on 57 shots in two games. Incredible stats from those two guys. Like, they definitely elevated their game, and we're, we're kind of missing that from, from all of our players to a certain degree. Like, you saw Boucher have a pretty good game, too, but no one really stepped up massively. Like, even Fred and Siakam, I think they were around 20 points per game each in game two here. Yeah, Siakam 20 and Freddie 20 as well. So... I mean, you need one of those guys to drop a 30-point game here. Like, some one of them just has to take over the game. And, yeah. unfortunately, it's just kind of an average game for those two guys. Yeah, I think the problem, it would be Siakam's game to take over if it were not for Joel Embiid. Because Siakam, leading into the playoffs, was an absolute monster, cutting through the competition. The guy's got speed. He's got moves. He can do... He can do it all. He can pass. He can rebound. You know, he had six offensive rebounds, which is pretty impressive in game two. But against Joel Embiid, when he's on the floor, Siakam is not going to take over the game, unfortunately. Like, Embiid's going to dominate every game he's in. That's that's just the nature of the beast. And he is the beast. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you have to try to find Siakam some open looks, right? Like, whatever you're trying to do on the defensive coverage to, to make Embiid a step late to getting to Siakam. So you would hope that there would be more of a scheme there to get him some open looks, but obviously it's not an easy task with with Joel guarding him, right? Like, the, but he he averages I think 1.5 steals a game, a block a game. Like it's it's a pretty uh, impressive defensive presence that he has. Like people talk about his offensive game, but he's a defensive beast as well. And that kind of leads me into another another stat here: is Philadelphia had 12 blocks in Game Two, and everyone contributed. Philly, oh, yeah. Philly, Philly brought the D in game two. Like they proved they can do it all. They didn't need it as much in game one. I mean, there was a few, there was a smattering of steals and blocks throughout the roster, but it was Philly's efficiency that cut us to ribbons in game one. Like that game's almost an outlier. You can't expect that performance, uh, from any team going forward. Like we're just victims of bad luck there. Uh, but they brought the D in game two and they're, they're, they're proving they can do it all. Just to give you updated betting odds, Dan, I uh, just had a quick look here online. I'm going to put you on the spot. I know you haven't looked. What do you think the odds are for, uh, let's say, Philly to win the rest of the series? What do you think those odds are? 
to win the rest of the series. I'm going to go a little bit drastic here because obviously people that are making these are more favoring the American teams. I'm going to say it's about like minus minus 800. Oh man, minus 1600. Minus 1600. Wow. Yeah, and the Raptors wow. are plus 950 to win. So if if you're a believer, I mean, there's an opportunity there to put a little coin on the Raptors. I mean, maybe I'll throw a couple bucks down, but uh, I don't know. I I put a little bit of money on them to win the series initially. I don't know if I, I'm going to double down on that right now, but if they win the next game, I'll consider it, but I need to see it first. Yeah, momentum swings are a big thing. And, I mean, I think one other, one other aspect that we, we can't forget to touch on here is the Raps need to do a better job at handling their frustrations and focusing on playing intelligent basketball. When things really yeah. fell apart was when their shots stopped falling in the in the second quarter here, and then all they did was double down on playing iso ball, which drives me absolutely nuts that when things start stop going their way, they just fall to complete iso hero ball. And, I mean, it does happen, but – this this basically kind of um, generates a lack of floor balance as well, which which compromised their transition defense. And I mean, this isn't solely on their young guys who aren't staying kind of level headed. After the game, Pascal and Freddie were taking blame for this. And I mean, like fouls were a storyline for game two. Don't get me wrong, but at the end of the day, nothing's going to change. No matter how much you bitch with the ref, refs, you might get another like another foul or two in your favor, but for the most part, you got to put your head down, play tough basketball, and just go out there and give it 100% because it's the more you bitch, the more you're going to get in your head, and it's just going to be an absolute disaster for their mental game. Agreed, agreed. I think we've ridden the emotional roller coaster of game one, game two, and what we can expect in game three and game four here. Going to put you on the spot. Will they win game three? I'm going to give it to them. I'm going to give it to them. Yeah, I, I think it's a tough one because obviously Philly's feeling pretty good, but you know the Raps fans are going to be excited to see their to see their team back in the playoffs as they weren't there last year playing in their home arena. So I think they're going to be pretty fired up. So I think I'm going to agree with you that they are going to take Game Three, and like I said before, hopefully that is a momentum builder and we can just build on that. And I really hope Gary Trent is looking like himself again. He can come back and drop 20 points on them because it was just obvious that he was sick. And, and like you said, Kev, props to him for, for going out there and, and giving it his all. But, I mean, when this guy, he's averaging, I think, 18 points per game for the Raptors, and then he's basically a liability on the floor, that, that, makes, it a, a tough ch- that makes a tough change for the Raptors to be successful. So you hope he comes back in Game 3 fully healthy or at least 80%. And he, we can see his his scoring presence and his defensive presence with those steals as well, right? So, yep. well, we'll see how he bounces back. Okay, well, I think I think we kind of went over both games here. Um, as always, it's a, it's a pleasure, K Train. <laughs> Just want to make sure that you guys follow the podcast on Spotify and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Ethos Raptors. Like, comment, so we can interact with you guys. I'm looking forward to game three. I think we're going to take it. Home crowd's going to be a big factor for us. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Go Raps. Go Raps, go, man. Cheers.